we are looking at the last five verses of Acts chapter 18, so I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. And as our passage opens today, uh, the larger picture is that Paul has just begun his third missionary journey, but he's not going to be in our passage today. He is en route to Ephesus, which is on the western coast of Asia Minor, or western coast of uh, modern Turkey, but he has not yet arrived. And so in today's text, I'm going to lower this microphone just a little bit. Here we go. In today's text, um, Luke is giving an account of what is happening in Ephesus before Paul's arrival. And in particular, Luke is going to give an account of a man arriving on the scene named Apollos. Let me uh, lead us in a brief prayer, and we will dig in verses 24 and following. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading, the hearing, the application of your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, first... Verses 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, what do we learn about Apollos from these opening words? First of all, he is a Jew. And you may think, now why would Jewish parents name a son Apollo the name of the Greek god? Well, I tricked you. His name is not Apollo. His name is Apollos. And Apollos is an abbreviated form of the name Apollonius, which was a popular name in Egypt. In fact, as we read here too, also he was a native of Alexandria of Egypt. Alexandria was the second most important in the Roman Empire, of course, after Rome. It had a large Jewish population, and it was noted for its education. It was known for its philosophy. It was also known for its school of rhetoric. Uh, Rhetoric, as I studied this uh, for this sermon, was a staple course of study for 2,000 years in Western Europe. And rhetoric, of course, is the art of public speaking, of being persuasive. And it's likely that his upbringing in Alexandria is what is behind uh, his strong capability in speaking. We're told here that he was an eloquent man. He was educated. He could speak intelligently and skillfully upon many subjects. But Especially, we see here, it says he was mighty in the Scriptures. 
He knew and understood very well the Old Testament. He had a command of the Old Testament. He understood the sense and the meaning of the Scriptures. He could make use of them, apply them, and reason out of the Scriptures. We read here also in verse 25 that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had some acquaintance with the doctrine of Christ, but as we'll see here, uh, there was he was not uh, fully taught on the person and the finished work of Christ. But he had learned something, perhaps by his parents, perhaps by travelers. But uh, we see also that he was fervent in spirit, speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. He had a divine fire as well as a divine light. Now, there are those who are fervent, have the fire, but are maybe a little deficient in knowledge. And there are those that have knowledge, but are maybe a little lacking in fervor. This man had both. And and we read here, too, regarding him, that he knew only the baptism of John. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, we read this, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Apollos, as we see here, taught accurately what he knew about Jesus, but he was not fully informed in the finished work of Christ. He was limited in his knowledge of Christ. What he said was balanced and right, but it was incomplete. What exactly he knew about Jesus and what exactly he did know about Jesus, I don't know exactly, but uh, it was sufficiently evident that he needed to know more that Priscilla and Aquila, as we see in this passage, will take him aside to give him more information. But before we get there, I want to mention another thing that we read about him in verse 26 as he spoke boldly in the synagogue. He didn't have the miraculous gifts that uh, the apostles had, but what he had in the way of his gifting, he made good use of. He communicated with excellent facility, and he was courageous. He did not fear the opinions or reactions of others. He knew the truth uh, and was not afraid to suffer for it. But as we uh, see in this passage, it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, just to remind you, Priscilla and Aquila, just prior to this, had spent a year and a half ministering with Paul in Corinth. And then Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila went to Ephesus. Paul stayed a short time, headed back to his home church, Antioch of Syria, but left Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. And so there they uh, help him understand more adequately the work and the person of Christ. Um, as I was studying this, a couple of verses came to mind. One of them is Proverbs twenty-five eleven: A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. How precious it is that they took him probably into the quietness of their home, guessing over a meal, and they told him more about Christ. We also read in Ecclesiastes 9.17 this, 
The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. And, and there's some spiritual lessons that we can take from what we've read so far. One is the importance of teaching. Priscilla and Aquila were teaching Apollos, even as Apollos was teaching there in the synagogue. Jesus' ministry was filled with teaching. He said himself, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Uh, Writing to Titus, Paul wrote that older women are likewise to teach the younger women what is good, to encourage the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, to be sense and pure. One of the qualifications for elder is apt to teach. And and so we see here the importance of teaching. The truth matters. Another spiritual lesson we can take away from this is the lesson of humility. And I think we see humility in Aquila and Priscilla and in Apollos. Aquila and Priscilla had superior knowledge of Jesus They had served with Paul for a year and a half, as I talked about. They did not embarrass Apollos in a public setting. They didn't call him some young, raw preacher. They didn't pride themselves over him. But they recognized his shortcomings and his understanding of the faith, took him aside privately to help him have a more accurate understanding. And... um, And Aquila, though he was a man of great knowledge himself, as far as we know, did not understand, did not undertake to speak in the synagogue. Perhaps he didn't have those gifts in public speaking, but they were pleased to serve by helping to build up the ministry they saw taking place in Apollos. I I, I was in the, I was the first one to get here in the parking lot and I took opportunity to call Gene Craven. His 92nd birthday was this weekend wonderful, godly man. And when I arrived in North Carolina, the end of 94, to be a church planter uh, up in the Lake Norman Mooresville area, Gene had just a few years before retired from a very good ministry. And he came in my office. I was 32, maybe. He came in my office and he said, Bill, I don't want to get in your way, but I'll do anything you ask me to do. Here you have a man who's served multiple churches, been a missionary in China. Uh, I think he was—he may have been one of the signers of the, the formation of the PCA. And, and he says, I want to get in your way, but I'll help you do anything. I'll do anything you want me to do. And I was reminding him in that phone call that one of my favorite moments with Gene was I was a church planter. I was under the authority of the Mission to North America Committee of our Presbytery. The chairman of the committee was Harry Reeder, and Gene went with me to the M&A meeting, and Harry Reeder said, Bill, how are things going up at Lake Norman? And I said, Harry, they're going great, and I'm so glad to have Gene Craven with me. I've taught him everything I know. And Harry said, over breakfast? And, <laughs> and Gene immediately said, drive through. <laughs> I don't think a second passed between what Harry said and what Gene, Gene chimed in. And that was all in good fun. His spirit really was one of just great humility. 
And you compare that, for example, with Moses' brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. They said, has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the next words are, and the Lord heard it. They regretted that they took that position there. You know, a, a better position is just a chapter away in Numbers 11, where it says, a young man ran up and told Moses, Eldad and, Meldad and me, Dad, are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, Joshua's, of course, the leader of Israel after Moses. Joshua, who's, I think, young at this point, the assistant of Moses, says, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. So we see in this passage a real humility with Priscilla and Aquila wanting to um, bolster the ministry of Apollos as they see the Lord working in him. But we also see, I think, humility in Apollos. Here's this this, uh, this man who's come from Alexandria, who it says is eloquent, he's skillful, he's persuasive, he's articulate, he's knowledgeable, he's mighty in the scriptures. Um, but it looks like he's teachable, looks like he's humble, looks like he has a submissive heart uh, as he listens to them. And though Apollos knew much, he hungered to know more the things of God. So I tell you, Humility in the church is just such an important uh, attribute. Okay, now read verses 27 through 28. And when he, that is Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. Achaia uh, uh, was a province in Greece. The capital city and province was Corinth. And Paul had set in motion in Achaia, particularly in Corinth, the church there. Some people were stirred up, believed under Paul's preaching, but they needed strengthening, and Paul was not there at the time. And somehow or another, Apollos heard about this, and, and he wanted to fill that vacancy of strengthening the, the young church there. This leads us to another spiritual principle, and that is the signs of a call to missions and to ministry. I appreciate, appreciate the way... Uh, uh, during the pastoral prayer, there were these prayers for missionaries and for missions. Well, when a church is thinking about sending out missionaries or when someone's thinking about being a missionary, I think there are three things that ought to be considered. One is an outward need. Another thing is an inward call. And a third thing is an outward confirmation. Here, Apollos wanted to go not because he was called by a vision, not even because of an invitation of the church there in Achaia, but he likely heard the state of the church. Maybe he heard it from Aquila and Priscilla, and he had in mind that he could do some good there, and he wanted to go there. So there was a need, there was an inward desire, and then we see here that the brothers encouraged him. Uh, and 
uh, his zeal to go there was confirmed by the church in Ephesus. They approved of this. And, uh, and furthermore, they end up writing a letter of recommendation on behalf of Apollos to the church in Corinth. And, and I would say it's important for a number of reasons to pay attention to outward need and recall and outward confirmation. But one of it is to make sure that the resources of the church are not wasted. Um, when someone goes on the mission field, it takes considerable resources, and you don't want to make a mistake there, if at all possible. But I think this outward call, excuse me, outward need, inward call, and outward confirmation can also be a good template for ministry within the church. Um, do you see a need for a particular ministry in this church? Is there a need that you're seeing? Furthermore, do you or does someone feel compelled to address that need to do something about it? And for the person who feels compelled to be involved in filling that need, would there be others around who could say, you know, I could see you doing that? And who, as a person launches out in ministry, would be there to confirm that the person is gifted for that and to encourage that person. Now, when the local church, I, I think it's it's uh, it, failure is 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 safer. I mean, I want people to try ministry. If it doesn't go so well, that's okay. That's a little different from sending somebody to a foreign country and having to raise all those resources. And certainly, we want to be a loving place where uh, people can. Uh, make sincere efforts to minister in the name of Christ and then learn in part through uh, the fruit and through the confirmation of others where one can serve best. Another spiritual principle we see here in this passage is that the local church must be willing to give up its laborers at times, laborers that it has even trained. The people at Ephesus benefited greatly from Apollos' ministry there, Right? And yet, when Apollos wanted to go to Corinth, the people at Ephesus encouraged him there, wrote the letters of recommendation. The church at Ephesus would have a loss, while Achaia or Corinth would have a gain, but the church in Ephesus realized that they were one local church out of the much larger one church, the body of Christ. Paul trained Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, and they were sent to minister in Ephesus Priscilla and Aquila informed Paulus more the way of Christ, and the church in Ephesus encouraged him to go to Corinth. And I want you to see the fruit from all of this. I want you to see the fruit from Apollos' in the Lord's providence, his background, his education, of his knowledge of the Scripture, of his fervor, and from the information that he gained from Aquila and Priscilla. It says, he greatly helped, these are those in in Achaia, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, and he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He helped those who by grace believed, and we see here that, that it is by grace that one believes. Scripture says, "...for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves." Nevertheless, 
Those who through grace do believe still need help as long as they live in this world. And until we die, until we go to be with the Lord, our faith remains in need of being perfected. And he was helping those who by grace believed. But furthermore, he was vigorously debating the Jews in the synagogue. He must have had a gift, a real gift, in this kind of ability to demonstrate from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, the ability to demonstrate from the Scriptures that that these Jews need not look for another, that Jesus is the one that they had longed hoped for. Then and now, unbelievers raise objections. Some of the objections are sophisticated. Some of them are folly. And yet, when we answer, our answers need to be by wisdom and by the pure truth of the Scriptures. And this is what he did in a mighty way and in a public way and with an earnest heart. He took pains to refute fallacious, erroneous, superstitious objections with plain and strong arguments. And what was his aim? Was it that his own name and reputation uh, might be lifted up in Achaia? Not in the least. His desire was that the truth would be told, that God would be honored, that Jesus would be glorified, that believers would be built up, and that more souls would be one. It was his desire that the forgiveness of sins, that the being made right with God, that being given a secure future life through Christ would be preached and bear fruit there in Achaia. The ultimate goal was not to win a debate, but to declare the truth and to honor God and to build up believers in win souls. Uh, now, as sort as I get as I get close to the to the end here, um, some of you may have thought, "Wait a second! I've heard of Apollos. We've heard of Apollos. It's right that his name is familiar with you." Later, when Paul is writing the church at Corinth in First Corinthians one, he writes this. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? So, of course, the Lord Jesus, Cephas or Peter, Paul, Apollos, all would have been stricken at the idea of the body being divided and the people being followed other than Christ. But it goes, to, I mean, to be in the same sentence with Peter and Paul and Jesus, you can see that Apollos really took on a, a, a very respected position among the church there in Achaia. But furthermore, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, What then is Apollos and what is Paul, servants through whom you came to believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So Apollos was an instrumental and effective worker in Corinth. He played an important role in the early development of the church in Ephesus and in Corinth. 
I'll also mention too in Titus, Paul writes, Titus 3.13, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking from them. And I'll also mention this too, the book of Hebrews does not tell us who the author is. Of course, of all scripture, the Lord is the ultimate author. But in terms of the one through whom the Holy Spirit worked uh, and inspired for the writing of scripture, the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews does not tell us uh, who is the author. And, and um, uh, Martin Luther floated the idea that it was Apollos, and, and uh, a number of modern scholars also think it was Apollos, but we, we just don't know. But the point being that because of the Lord's providence in his life, because of his command of the Scripture, because of his fervor, and because of the investment that Aquila and Priscilla made in him, you, you, you had this person who was used mildly by the Lord in the, in the young church. So in conclusion, let's remember some of the spiritual principles to be seen here. Teaching is vital. The church needs to teach the scriptures in their fullness and the completed work of Christ. That is a must-do given to every local church. Humility within the church is important. Uh, uh, the Lord lifts up those who are humble but he strikes down those that are proud. And in the church, we need to, to, to be pleased to be servants, right? We've seen the signs of call to missions and to ministry. Is there an outward need? Is there an inward sense of call? And is there outward confirmation by brothers and sisters? Like, yeah, I could see you doing that. Or good job, ma'am, or good job, sir. The church must be willing at times to give up its laborers. We love one another, would miss one another if someone were to go labor in another field, but ultimately it's the Lord's church, and he sends people where he wants them to go. And we remember that these things yield eternal fruit. We're not here for a long time. Maybe by strength we make it 80 years, but in the scheme of things, we're kind of like the dew on the grass, not kind of like Scripture says we are, like the dew on the grass here in the morning and by noon we're gone. But may the Lord establish the work of our hands in the number of days that he's given us. Let me lead us in prayer.